adult contemporary. The term is cringeworthy. The person who coined this phrase should be peeling potatoes and making license plates in a rural prison. In the 90s, it became a catch-all for just about anything that didn't quite fit into a solid genre. Don't get me wrong. You weren't going to hear anything under the sun on the radio stations that played this stuff. You did get everything from rock bands like Matchbox 20, Counting Crows, and Third Eye Blind, to Lilith Fair artists like Sheryl Crow, to even jam bands like Fish and Blues Traveler. The unifying factor of all this was, could your parents rock out to it? Could you picture your dad with a cup of beer at a zoo concert going, yeah, man, I can still party. To be fair, most of these artists didn't deserve to be labeled this way. They were just trying to make music and their labels were just looking for ways to market them. For me, no band exemplifies this more than live. Their 1994 album, Throne Copper, spawned one minor hit, one major hit, and one smash success. They blurred the lines between rock, alternative, and, unfortunately, adult contemporary. Whatever you want to call them, they wrote an album full of really great songs. Though their fame was short-lived, for a while they were one of the biggest bands in music. It was okay that your parents liked them just as much as you did. Today on Hidden Jukebox... We make a return to full albums with lives throwing copper. Placentas will fall to the floor. Now, is adult contemporary different from soft rock? Because when you said adult contemporary, the song that comes to mind is Savage Garden, I Knew I Loved You Before I Met You. Wow. Because <laughs> I used to go to this teriyaki place in the U District in Seattle all the time in the, like, Nine early 2000s, I guess. And that they played that song. I, I went there even though they kept playing that song on like the adult contemporary radio station. Well, uh, I I don't think so, because if this album is adult contemporary, then no, it's not. Oh, soft I don't rock. think this album is adult contemporary. I think, so I I think would, Lightning Crashes. Th- that was going to be my first question is, do you disagree with my statement? I, I disagree that the whole album would qualify, but Lightning Crashes, absolutely. I don't know if any other songs on the album would really fit the format. Right, but I when, when starting to think about this album and this episode, I was like, where did you used to hear this? You used to hear it on alternative radio stations, yeah. but I don't listen to it and go, that's some alternative rock. And and I don't listen to it and, I, and go, it's soft rock. And I don't... The the album as a whole or or just Lightning Crashes? The album as a whole. Oh, the album as a whole, this this is what alternative rock was in 1994. I mean, this was, this was sort of like... Uh, it was it was REM like they wanted to be REM and they wanted to be Nirvana. That's that's what it was. I think I don't get the Nirvana thing. I definitely get the REM thing. This this brings to mind on on a side note that this week this huge festival was announced in Vegas. <laughs> I called knew when you were, we were going to talk young. about this. I knew it. I wish I there had been like an office pool at the hidden jukebox <laughs> office for is Jake going to bring up this uh, this My Chemical Romance and what's the other Paramore Paramore and then a thousand other bands that that like at some point somebody grew up with, but most of them I don't recognize. And you know, of course, immediately people start texting and emailing me and going, "Dude, we got to go." And I'm looking at the list and going. No, we don't. I, I, there are like two bands on, on here that I'd like to see. But the point being, then I start reading these articles and all the articles are saying, oh, there's this huge emo festival happening in Vegas. And I'm like, I think that's fair. I, 
I don't know what I consider emo, but I do not consider Paramore emo. I consider them more like most of the bands I, I think of as punkish. So, but but like, is there? You know, I think I think this is an argument that like a billion stoned college kids have had. Like, where is the line between emo and pop punk? Because <laughs> like. And and now two forty somethings are arguing where is the line between alternative rock and adult contemporary. All right, well let's talk about this album because uh, it uh, I have so many feelings about this album. Yeah, um, I I bought this album immediately after the first time I saw the selling the drama video on MTV. I was like, this song fucking rules. I I want the whole album, and the whole album was great. I was. Uh, summer of 94, I was, uh, I was living in New York. I was interning, um, at a, uh, a, like a think tank and living, <laughs> living at my grandparents with my grandparents for part of it. Um, and I just played this constantly. The three albums that I played all the time during that summer were this one, um, Camper Van Beethoven, Key Lime Pie, which was not that new at the time and In Utero. Yeah. Um, I also bought this immediately when it came out and Interestingly, this album uh, is one of the albums, this is a really weird statistic, that took the longest to hit number one after being released. Interesting. It took about a year for it to reach number one. So really, like it was when Lightning Crashes came out in early, mid-95 that everybody picked up this album. Uh, Do you know like which album took the longest to get to number one? Because I'm going to guess it was something like 30 years. Okay. Like it was a thing that got featured in a movie or something. It it is not that because most albums that do that hit number one at some point. And then come back. I think of something like Bohemian Rhapsody or Aerosmith Dream On. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'd I'd have to look it up. There's there's like a list that I found, but it's... uh, it it took a while for it to really catch on, and when it did, uh, it sold eight million copies. Yeah. So then that that fall, after I got back to California, my friends uh, uh, Ryan and Brian and I drove out to Riverside, California, where we saw a show with uh, Weezer. Live was headlining. Weezer and Fatima Mansions were opening. I know no one remembers Fatima Mansions I but do. me, but they're great. Um, and. Uh, that show was like beyond good. It was like one of the best shows I've ever seen. And now, like, I still listen to Weezer all the time, and I still listen to Fatima Mansions all the time. And whenever I put this album on, I'm like, this the singing on this is fantastic. The songwriting is fantastic, but these lyrics suck so much that it is really hard to get through the whole album. And that makes me sad. I just found the answer to your question. Uh it was the third longest gap, an album between an album first charting and reaching number one behind Fleetwood Mac's eponymous album in 1976, 58 weeks. Okay. And Paul Abdul's Forever Your Girl. Interesting. 1989, 64 weeks. Okay. You were right. So uh, I saw Live in 1997 mm-hmm. at Bumbershoot. And to kind of sum up uh, the short attention span of a teenager, by that point, I'm like, I could really care less. I, the, yeah, sure. The, they don't really do it for me anymore. And it was literally like three years since I had gone. This is one of the best albums of all time. Yeah. And I think like listening to this, Ed Kowalczyk, the uh, the singer songwriter, I feel like 
manages to synthesize like several different kinds of guys you don't want to hang out with. He's like the guy who just got back from from he doesn't he doesn't sing with a British accent, but he seems like the guy who would study abroad in England and come back with a British accent. He's just gotten into Buddhism and wants to tell you all about that. Like and he's also angry because he came from a small town and nobody understood him and his friends and like it's it's almost intolerable. Yeah, there there was never like you know, you didn't have the internet back then what yeah. when when you could like look up and find out all about a guy. So you used like Rolling Stone and Spin and read interviews. And Ed Kowalczyk was one of these guys where like you would read interviews and go, I don't know this guy and I I don't research this guy, but I can tell that I don't want to hang out with this guy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like content warning for sexual assault, like not like he didn't do anything as far as I know. But what he did do was in interviews at the time this album came out, he would talk about selling the drama, the first single and talk about how uh, like as as a performer, like the audience could rape you. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> well, and and it's tough for me because like this album had a parental advisory sticker slapped <laughs> on it, so he's swearing in it a bunch. But he he was a is a very spiritual guy. Like at one point, uh, I think that they made like what was considered almost a, a Christian album. Oh, let me tell you about this. Oh, do you want to know? Well, I don't remember the name of the album. It was their last album. Go, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, because um. It was the last. I think. I think later they replaced him and got a new singer and put out one album. They, that they no did one for six years. They're like, "Fuck this guy, you're out of the band." And then they brought him back six years later. So on their on their final album with him, he wrote a song. I think it called "Heaven," which contained these lyrics, which may be the worst ever. <laughs> I don't need no one to tell me about heaven. I look at my daughter and I believe. I don't need no proof when it comes to God and truth. I can see the sunset and I perceive. Uh, On the same album, there was a different song called Love Shines, a song for my daughters about God. And I believe this is what led to the breakup of the band. I'm not even joking. Like The rest of the band was like... The, what what are you doing? Like, like, like did, did you have to add in a song to my daughters about God? Like, was <laughs> right, right. Thanks. In parentheses, like, they're just like, oh, I did not. So this is not the band that I signed up for. Like, you have to stop doing this, or or like go solo, like you've been threatening to do for years. Well, when you listen actually to the first three albums, including the third one, which has the again cringeworthy <laughs> title "Secret Samadhi." Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Like he does these like weird like Indian style uh, over undertones yeah. in, in like his vocal inflections and his melismas and stuff, and he's a Polish white guy from York, PA. And like what you're saying about like him traveling around India or Nepal oh, or something, for sure. Like like. I hate the term cultural appropriation, but I feel like this guy is doing cultural appropriation all over the place. Yeah. And, and being he achieved like, enlightenment and he wants everybody to know. Yeah. Be, being like, take me seriously, even though there's absolutely no reason that you should, because I have no no clout and no, nothing that says that that I know anything about this stuff. And yet it sounds like we hate this album, but I don't think that's what we're saying. Like. Well, here's the okay. thing, and this is why this this whole episode is going to be a dilemma for me, is I did at one point think this was one of the greatest albums I'd ever heard, but at the time, 
I didn't pay attention to lyrics or song structure at all, which is a good thing. Like a song should just grab you based on the fact that you like this the sound of it. Yeah. Like like that it hits you right. But going back and listening to this album multiple times, I I'm not sure I'm buying it anymore. Really? Okay. I, I don't think it's a bad album, but I don't listen to it and go, man, that was a great rock album. And it's tough because most of the stuff that we've revisited or listened to for the first time on this show, I've either been like, man, I I wish I'd caught wind of this in the 90s, or I've been like, man, it's so fun going back and visiting this because it's still so good. Now, I don't remember what our format is. Do we like talk about the album in general and then just go into songs and go back and forth? Um, yeah, well, I, I like how you say it as though there are rules here, Matthew. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Follow them or you're out. We will okay. find a new host we'll find- so fast. <laughs> okay, then, by the by the way, this this is now um, a, a podcast for my child about God. <laughs> okay. I'm just bringing this on you now. Uh, okay, uh, so what song should we start with here? Well, I want to start with, um, yeah, because I want to talk about the dam at Otter Creek. Is reflecting what's been done. This is where sadness breathes. The sadness of everyone. Just like when the guys with the damn it all the creek and all the world are backed up. Deep enough to die. Because I think when I first you know, got into this album when it came out. I thought this was this is the first song in the album, and I didn't really get it. It's like it starts really slowly, and it's got kind of this this like kind of muffled, claustrophobic sound. Kind of they're kind of like jamming, warming up, and the and the lyrics start really quiet, and it builds to a finale. And I'm like, I, why would they make this the first song? Why didn't they make like I Alone the first song? Um, like it doesn't really fit with the rest of what's on the album. I think this is by far the best song on the album. I- I got to say, even though I'm now mixed on the album, I love this as an opening track. Yeah, it's it's one. It's like, again, I still think the songs on this album are good overall, even though the lyrics blow. But this this song is interesting in a way that the rest of them aren't like there is there is really they're They're kind of stretching, stretching uh, their their musical uh, creativity. On, on this song in a way that they don't otherwise. Fair warning to the audience, we are probably going to mention how much the lyrics suck on this album ten more times. In oh, this for sure. Yeah, it does. They do rhyme hearse with curse in this song. Other than that, I think the lyrics are not too bad, um, and you can't understand them very well. Uh, but like it, you know, it just it builds and builds and builds, and like it doesn't have a clear like verse chorus structure like I alone, which which I think does that pretty well. Um, but uh, and it's the 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 be here now with the big with the big like falsetto break, like all of this song pretty much still works for me. I do have to say, and and throw Matthew under the bus here. Um, Matthew usually uh, every month before we record a show. <laughs> he's been working with a vocal teacher again and he, and Matthew's been singing for years and admittedly he has a great voice but he loves sending me clips of him <laughs> singing often a cappella parts of, of <laughs> songs or albums that he loves and so I got a clip of him singing this uh, this song a couple weeks ago and I'm like 
Yeah, yeah, that's how the song goes. That's <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It sounds good. <laughs> for for forty five, you're killing it. Forty six. I'll be forty seven soon. Oh yeah. God, <laughs> how did this happen? Um, okay. So- yeah, no, but I mean, like, and that that's that's the point. Like, you know. We are two old men, like, grumbling about an album made by, like, 22-year-olds who who have a right to be stupid. The thing about Ed Kowalczyk is he got stupider after this. <laughs> it, it It's so true, and it's like, usually people start stupid and remain stupid, like, like on, an, on an even level. Like, I think of um, uh, Rob Thomas. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, Pretty... Pretty, pretty even, like smooth, you might say. God damn it! <laughs> I don't know if I'm mad because you said that or mad because I didn't, didn't use it, it first. <laughs> um, so, uh, um, one word. Woo! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of that. There is a ton of it. I shouldn't have done this, but I went through the album and counted, and Ed does this loud woo. 16 times on this album including three times during selling the drama yeah for sure um but i mean i think he's a very good singer i th- i think he's like you know i i wish he had sung some some like songs with good lyrics or even not bad lyrics um because, like, you know, purely as an instrument, I love listening to his voice. I think he does the thing that you said, what do you call it, like, intensity without volume? Yes. Like, he's so good at that. Well, I want to paint a picture for you here, because it it may sound like I'm making fun of this, and I am a little bit, but when you go into a, a, a recording studio to make an album, you're in a very sterile environment, and there's a lot of soundproofing, so it feels like your voice doesn't travel anywhere, and so trying to create an energy that that you can capture on a recording is really, really difficult. Yeah. And I just picture him in the studio, like jumping up and down, trying to get himself into it and creating this like excitement where he's got these like carnal animal <laughs> things that he does uh, through the, throughout the course of this album where it's like. How did you get that energy? I mean, maybe cocaine. I don't know. But like, how did you get that energy in the studio where you weren't just like, I'm going to sing a song. Here's how it goes. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe he's just on all the time. Even now? Even now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If live is still around. So, you know, when this whole pandemic thing ends, we should go see a show. Uh, boo all the bad lyrics, but yay all the woos. Are they are they playing at the at the Dashboard Confessional Festival? No, because they're not emo. They're adult right, contemporary. Okay. Uh, we should listen to Selling the Drama. And to love the God And to fear the flame And to burn the crowd that has a This was my intro to the band, as we said. Uh, I love the melodic bass lines throughout this entire album. Uh, yeah, they they are captured on this uh, really well. the The song is recorded really well. I also love a song where there's virtually no intro. It just yeah. dives straight into the lyrics. We've talked. The little the little tiny guitar intro before the lyrics come in is also great. Like this is a really well written song. Yeah, 
so Patrick Dahlheimer, the bassist, was like one of the guys who I I would play his parts to learn how to play bass when I was yeah. a teenager because they were like he was doing so much under music that didn't really need him to do it. He could have been playing really straight ahead lines. I, I think of like um, uh, what's the bassist name for Stone Temple Pilots? Um, DeLeo. Yeah. D- <laughs> Dean DeLeo. He, like he's he's fantastic. Literally everyone in that band is named DeLeo, right? <laughs> yes. OK. Yes. I, I'm actually All of the living ones. I'm, I'm actually impressed that, that you got that uh side note uh patrick dahlheimer and i used to get our haircut from the same person in portland i <laughs> this is the worst name drop i've ever heard <laughs> I, I i i agree but it's it's not that i've been like stoked about it for years especially as a, a guy who went bald when he was 23 uh but more like just like patrick dahlheimer wasn't from portland he didn't live there like what's he doing like hey Guys, when the band rolls through Portland, just so you know, I'm busy from four to five because that's where I get my haircut. How did you know this? Because I started going to this salon in 1995 on the suggestion of our mother and the hair, the hairstylist who was working on me was really cool and was like, so what type of stuff you listen to? And I'm like, well, I love throwing copper. It's such a great album. She's like. I cut the bassist's hair. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so this is this is Jake's idea of, of like a brush with fame <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that he didn't meet the bass player of a band that you've probably forgotten. He only got his hair cut by the same stylist. Yeah, like like. <laughs> These shears have probably touched both of our follicles, but they but they've spent a lot of time in the Barbasol jar in between. Uh, they've, they've got like a, a bin of cut hair, and I'm like, is some of Pat's mixed in with mine in there? Ew. <laughs> Do you um, mind if I pull a handful out and take it home with me? Yeah. Okay. So it's selling the drama. Um, I, uh, I think it's really good. It's the one that that uh, that he was talking about in that interview where he said uh, that the audience can rape you. Um, and it seems to be one of those songs, which there may be two of on this album, to be fair, about how hard it is to be on tour with a band, which I think there should be a law saying that you are not allowed to write a song about that because nobody wants to hear it, except that there are two good songs about this, unless you can think of more. I can. Okay, so the two, the two I came up with, Wanted, Dead or Alive, obviously great. Uh, and turn the page by Bob Seger. We're an American band. Yes. Um, eh, out on the road for forty days. Last night in Little Rock put me in a haze. Sweet, sweet Connie doing her act. She had the whole show, and that's a natural fact. Okay, fair. You're like, right. It's good. It's it's <laughs> it's so good. Also, uh, I I would go with Rock and Roll Band by Boston. It's not really about being on the yeah. road, but it's about becoming yeah, famous. Yeah, you're right. Man, that first album by Boston is it's probably so, the best album. It's 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 literally <laughs> right? the best album ever made. It's it, it, every single song is a hit on that yeah. album. Um, we were, I was talking to somebody about the most meta song ever written. Was I talking to you about that? Is it is it the uh, the four chord song by Axis of Awesome? What the hell is that? Oh, I'm sure you've seen this video. It's it's uh it's about like the one five six four progression and uh, and like it's this like you know parody band they do like a, a medley of like seventy songs that use that progression or something similar to it. Nope. Okay. Nope, not that. All right, we'll link to it in the show notes, I guess. Okay. Um, 
But you were going to say, what is the most meta song? It's it's going to come to me later in the episode. Okay, I'm going to go, oh, yes, of course. Should I pick another song? Yes, you should. All right. I want to talk about uh, All Over You. Because this, when I first heard the album, this was my favorite song. And it's because of that chord progression that goes, that is the intro and the chorus. Uh, I didn't even like, like stop to like sit down and figure out like, like what makes it good. But it's just, it kind of like comes around <laughs> in a way. Yeah. It's, it's just super satisfying. I think, I think they really nailed it. Well, there's there's this thing that when when I'm working on songwriting with people, uh, you try and throw things in to break up monotony in a song. Like, yeah. like I mean, that's the whole concept of verse, chorus, bridge anyway. But this song does this really cool thing where like the end of the first verse and the end of the second verse end differently. Like one of them ends with kind of this yes. flush chord and th- and the end of the second one ends with these two drum hits that everybody hits together. Boom. boom. And it's oh, like yeah. <laughs> it's like something so simple but makes you go, "Yeah! Awesome." And this song like really really nails that in terms of it could be very simple, but they just add in these little things that make it work really well. Yeah, absolutely. I like the 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 dynamics are good, like the you know, they do the Pixies quiet verse, loud chorus thing and do it really well. Um, yeah, I think like someone someone once told me like a rule of songwriting, make the second verse different. Like it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to like grow in intensity, although it can. You could make the second verse quieter than the first. Just do something different. Well, now we have to talk about Shit Town, right? I guess we do. Because doesn't this have the exact same first verse and second verse? The lyrics are the same, yeah. Yeah, um, so they're not the, changing things up. Well, and the, the lyric, you know, I mean, you can you can do the same. They they're not exactly the same. They're not played exactly the same. Um, but they both have a lyric: "The weavers live up the street from me, and the crackheads they live down the street from me." Which I love like, because it's like. Are, are, is is the family's last name the crackheads? Yeah, that's right. They're like the coneheads. Or are the weavers upstairs people who weave and their last name isn't Weaver? I didn't even think of that. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> this is why these lyrics don't work. Like I I don't get any of the lyrics on this album. No. Like, like none of them make sense. It it's so funny. Um wh- what is shit town? I think they were just they just like thought their like medium sized small town that they came from sucked, which is fine, and wanted to write a song about it, which is unnecessary. York, PA. Yeah, yeah. They they did go to high school together. This band has been together for a long time. Yeah, you know what? Actually, uh, they made two albums before this one. Uh, I'm just remembering this now. Uh, the first one was called Mental Jewelry, yep. um, which is I mean it's not. It's not as good as this one. It's it's like more more kind of jammy, folky. I would say it did have one minor hit. Um, it pain, was uh, pain lies on the riverside. Oh, it, was the, it had two minor hits. It had two minor hits. There's the, um, the other one. 
Heard o- a lot. Operation Spirit. That's right. Heard a lot of talk about this Jesus. Yep. Um, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pretty good. I, I think there are, there are some pretty solid songs on that album. Uh, the previous one, they, they released under another band name. They were called Public Affection, and the album was called Death of a Dictionary. I got a like a bootleg cassette of and, it. And you gave it to me. Right. It's kind of not bad. It's not. <laughs> um, it's... Uh, you know, in some ways, it's it's better better than this album because the lyrics are more just like like goofball, like we're kids and we don't know anything, instead of we're kids and we think we know everything. Well, and it's kind of jammy in this way that they were like in their parents' basement, just like fooling around, writing songs, and not so much like a label going, "We need hits, write, write hits." And it and it right. like I kind of like that. It's, yeah, I don't remember where I was going with this, but. There, there's a charm to it. While well, you, you were mentioning that there were three albums and this band has been around for a while. Right. They, they've they had something like five different names, too. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and this is the one they settled on? Because this is like, it's one of those bands that, band names that's bad when you first hear it and remains bad. Uh, they went through various different names, including Action Front, Paisley Blues, and Club Fungus. <laughs> before settling on public affection in january of 1987 yeah Th- this band is still around so that means they've been around for 35 years sure that that's pretty impressive um i put a song on my list because like i said we're going to talk about bad lyrics again waitress i want to listen to this all right come on baby leave some chills I, I was thinking about this because I saw you put it on the agenda and like when I was like in the shower this morning, I was thinking about like maybe there is a way to interpret these lyrics that's kind of clever. I don't think there is. I, I don't think that there is either. Uh, so come on, baby, leave some change behind. She was a bitch, but good enough to leave some change. Everybody's good enough for some change. Right. So my question is, who is talking in this song? I, I feel like the the scene that I feel like we're setting up is like there's like uh, a an angry dad who 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 doesn't want to tip the waitress because of some perceived slight, but who who is making the observation? It doesn't like there's no way of of like conceptualizing it that makes sense to me. I I don't know. Like the first the first lyrics. This is another song that starts out basically immediately with the lyrics, which is great. Yeah, and and I really liked it when I didn't pay attention to lyrics, but. Come on, baby, leave some change behind. She was a bitch, but I don't care. She brought her food out on time and wore funky bread in her hair. That's so dumb. Like, yeah, like leave her a tip. I mean, she was a total bitch to us, but the food was timely and her hair looked nice. So leave her a tip. Um, And also, those aren't even the worst lyrics because because also, man, we're really picking on this album. Oh, man. Um, It it really deserves it, though. Um. Because uh, there's uh, that girl's got a family. She needs cash to buy aspirin for her pain. Uh, and this is also the song where he says, we all get the flu. We all get AIDS. We got to stick together. I, I try to pick one point in every episode where I can make Matthew crack up. And here it is. Another installment of Jake's misheard lyrics. Okay. Since I didn't pay attention to lyrics in the 90s, but I did try and sing along with them. 
I never knew that this lyric was, we all got the flu, we all get AIDS. But since this song was about eating in a diner, I always thought he was saying... <laughs> I see where you're going with this. We, I know what you're going to say. We all get the food. We, we all, all get, get eggs. No. We all, I thought it was, we all get the food. We all get eight. A-T-E. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to stick together. Now, I, I, I didn't... Wait. Okay, stop, <laughs> stop. Because if the scenario that you're proposing is that the waitress, we have to be nice to the waitress and tip well because she might be a monster that will break out of her skin and eat all of us, then I'm back on board. This song's brilliant. It, no, it's even better. <laughs> I never thought of it as cannibalism. I, <laughs> I, I always thought of it as eight was like, like, like all together. <laughs> Oh no! We, this album broke Jake. I, I, I always thought it, <laughs> that eight was like some sort of Pennsylvania colloquialism, <laughs> like, like Scrapple. No, like guys. <laughs> it's like, wait, is he get it? It's like getting laid. No, it's like. Guys, uh, it's Friday night. We're not doing anything else. What do you say we go get eight? <laughs> just like, just like, like, just like, we're gonna go get some food. What yeah, do you say we all eight. get eight? <laughs> no, you're we right. all get the food. We all get eight. <laughs> That's how they talk in York, Pennsylvania. You're right. Um, I had a misheard lyric on this on this album as well, um, which I was gonna like put out there, like you know how I'm dumb crying. is this? But then I realized it was it was me um, that on on the Damn Otter Creek, I thought there was a line. Um, uh, made a, a stretcher made from trees that had passed into stone. And I'm like, is he suggesting that they made a stretcher out of petrified wood? <laughs> but it was passed in the storm. Oh, so. God. Oh, I'm crying. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my God. That was... <laughs> we all get eight. <laughs> we all get eight. Uh, now, now it's my favorite song on the album because it worked. Like, all of the lyrics are so goddamn bad that they're good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'm kind of sold on this now. <laughs> um, all right, I feel like there was some some stuff uh, like outside of. Uh, did we mention that this is this was produced by Jerry Harrison from the Talking Heads, and the production is very good. We did not. Um, the only thing I would complain about is there is a lot of ride symbol on here, which is not really the producer's fault. No, not necessarily. Like I think, like he would basically have to tell their drummer. Please stop using the ride symbol. <laughs> right. It's driving me goddamn and crazy. And I think it maybe it was just like a thing at the time. So he was a member of the Modern Lovers. He was a member of the Talking Heads. He released some albums on his own. And then he's produced uh, Violent Femmes, Live, Crash Test Dummies, Fatima Mansions. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Verve Pipe, Big Head Todd and the Monsters, No Doubt. He, he's had a big career and is still producing to this day. That's great. Yeah, like and and he's a great producer. Uh and now this is embarrassing, but I think he played guitar for them, right? Uh yeah, that's right. Uh vocals, keyboards, guitar yeah. and bass. Yeah, so he plays a little bit of everything. Um this was one of the earlier albums that he produced post solo career um and kind of shot him into superstardom. Uh the other thing that I wanted to talk about is there's a couple things. So first off, nostalgia tours. Mm -hmm. This has been a trend for many years. Uh, some of your favorite bands from a certain era play a two to four band bill together, obviously because the whoever's putting it together 
wants a larger audience to show up, they're like, well, we don't know if you can draw huge on your own anymore, but if you if we put all these bands together. Weezer, Fall Out Boy, uh, Green Day. Exactly. Yeah. Or like I always think of Journey, Sticks, Ario, Speedwagon, yes. all, always playing together. Like it seems like that those bands have played thousands of shows together, but can play giant amphitheaters because of it. That was like a 70s, 80s band trend. And now these days they're, Seems to be a 90s uh, band trend. Okay. So you see live on bills with Counting Crows, Big Head Todd, Everclear, Filter, Sponge. And I don't I don't think it's a bad thing. It's like you you get to go back and... and I'm not sure how you would argue that it's a bad thing. <laughs> well, like you could argue that it's kind of a cash grab. Where yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess it's are. a bad thing if Ed Kowalczyk gets your money. But other than that, it seems fine. <laughs> Uh, like I feel bad for the rest of these bands that they have to ha- hang out with Ed Kowalczyk. I mean, to, on the other hand, you got to leave some change behind. Yeah. Um. No. Like when you get three bands that were large in the '90s and they're all playing together, who gets the headlining spot? How oh, long yeah, is each set? Question. And and like, do I really want to see Matchbox Twenty at all? The the answer being yeah, that's no. the problem. Like when you want to see one of the bands, but the other one is headlining, and you don't care about that. Band, well, then you can leave. That's early. true. Never mind. That's better. That's that's better. It's it's when you have to sit through Blues Traveler and and Filter. Not that I have any problems with those bands before you get to see Ed Kowalczyk in all of his glory. Mm-hmm. Like that becomes a little bit problematic, but they can play bigger venues, which, you know, I don't know what kind of venues live would play on their own nowadays. I don't know who would show up to see live nowadays. I, I think they could play the show box. Probably. I like maybe. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, they were certainly bigger than than Toadies, and I saw Toadies at the Showbox. Yeah, yeah, and they it, could play the Showbox. It show was box. pretty full. You know who else? This I is s- what people listen to this show for. They want to know. They want us to figure out exactly what size of venue live would play in Seattle. I think about these things all the time because, like, I saw um, Ben Folds Five on their reunion tour at the sure. Showbox. For for those people who don't live in Seattle, Showbox holds about eleven hundred people. So it's a no. Everybody knew that. You don't have to explain. Okay, perfect. Um, I was like Ben Folds Five. Ben Folds is still a star in his own right. This this band should be playing a bigger venue than this. And sure enough, it was completely packed. The Mm gills sold out. So sometimes it is like, well, you you've got to pick the right venue. And yeah, live could probably do a venue that size. I don't think that that I would move them to something bigger. I think I would enjoy seeing live play at the Showbox. I got to be honest. Okay, if it comes around, we're going to go. All right. And, and we're going to see if Ed Kowalczyk has grown his hair long again. Right, because he was bald. He was a bald man for a while. I think he still is. Yeah. Um, I, I was also going to say, this album has had has a hidden track on it. Right. Horse. Yeah, which, which is pretty good, right? I, I really like it, yeah. and I like that it's a hidden track because... It doesn't sound like anything else on the yeah. album, but rather than leaving it on the cutting room floor, it's like, well, we'll put a gap between the last song and and this hidden track. And it's one of these things that I miss about CDs because it doesn't work on records. It certainly doesn't work on Spotify. Like Spotify right. just has horse as the last track on the album and doesn't mention anything like it was a hidden track. But. Back in the 90s, these things were like Easter eggs where you had to find them. And I remember 
I used to dig through bins of CDs looking for a copy of Bad Motor Finger by Soundgarden because there was an EP called Flower that's like a, rarely like a few copies were made where this thing was hidden behind the CD and you could find a case that said two CD set. Nice. And I never found it, but I always would seek that out. I just had to explain to my my 18-year-old child uh, the concept of uh, digging through LPs in milk crates. And they were like, what? (laughs) I mean, you can still do that. I I know. I thought that's like the hip thing to do now. Yeah, but we don't have we don't have a turntable. You should get a turntable. All right. Um, okay. What other songs should we discuss? Let's okay, pick um, one more. I I want to talk about lightning crashes a little bit. I, I guess we can't get out of this episode without talking about that. Lightning crashes, mother cries. So, I know this is like a a soft rock radio classic, um, which which is not a bad thing. That's fine. Uh, the the chorus guitar intro cheesy as hell. The line about about the placenta is hilarious. Uh, the new mother cries, old mother dies thing is terrible. Uh, but like. I listened to this a bunch of times before before this episode, and there is just no mystery to me about why this was a hit song. Like, it is super singable. It builds and builds and builds from the beginning to the end, which I find so satisfying. And, like, you know, when it goes out with, you know, I can feel it. Great. Like, you know, is it is it dumb in a way? Yeah. But, I mean, lots of songs are dumb. He he kind of rhymes intentions with placenta, which doesn't rhyme at all. Yeah, but but also intentions fall to the floor doesn't mean anything. Um, also, if the placenta falls to the floor, like they're they're not that's not what's supposed to happen. <laughs> the the nurse missed right missed the catch. Um, I agree though. This is a great song, and I've talked before about how big hits. Uh, kind of can cross over and this didn't sort this certainly didn't cross over into R&B or anything but you think of it as like soft rock adult contemporary which it is but this was played a lot on alternative radio sure. in in the mid 90s so it was getting played on in multiple formats which is part of why it became such a massive hit but it's also just a really well written song yeah um yeah the guitar is cheesy as hell but i feel like a lot of guitars were doing this sort of thing in oh yeah and I, I certainly have a soft spot for for that kind of guitar tone yeah like like that mid-90s post-grunge alternative thing was like well we can make the guitar washy we can add some reverb uh no i feel like there was there was kind of a uh, like in the 80s let's put a chorus pedal on all the guitars in the 90s like what if we added some distortion and kept the chorus pedal on and then like later in the 90s like and what if we turned off the chorus pedal <laughs> and made it really dry. Then what would yeah. it sound, sound like? Okay, anything else that you want to talk about with this album? Um, no, I think you wanted to mention White Discussion. I love this song still. It, it's it's good. It's it's one of the two like seven minute songs on the album. Yeah, and and it it's got just these really really heavy parts. It's got an extremely prominent bass line and. 
Ed's screams, as much as they're hilarious, it's back to that thing of like, how did he get that type of energy going in the studio? Yeah. Like, like he's by the end of it, it sounds like he's losing his mind and it's great. Like, yeah, it's, it's he's got, so good at that. It's got so much energy. Yes. However, <laughs> uh, not to not to like shit on your parade, but this is also the song where where he says, uh, though, it leaves me quite erect. <laughs> and then there's this little bass fill that is it's like a rim shot of bass. That is one of the worst things you've ever heard. <laughs> All this discussion, the politically correct. It's dead beyond destruction, though it leaves me quite erect. Doom did a doom. God damn it, now the song's ruined for me. I I never should have talked about this. Um re- really like it's not that the that the album is bad. It's really it's good. It's not. It it's it, it it really is a good album. It's just not something that after this I'm going to be like in the car and go I'm going to go back and listen to Throne Copper again. It really is a great great album. It it just it, it's not there for me anymore. Yeah, but like is it really just because of the lyrics? I think for me it is, which is weird because like I don't care about lyrics very much, but if they are trying this hard to to like say like hey, like notice me how how like clever and enlightened I am, like that's a tough sell. Uh it is about lyrics. You're absolutely right because I was thinking this week about how like I feel like the rest of the band members get a bad rap because because the lyrics are so bad. But like the band as a whole, even Ed's vocals, like they're all extremely talented. Yeah. Like like you listen to this. I can't remember what song has this ripping guitar solo during the bridge, but like they're all extremely talented. Maybe stage. Yes. Stage has got a great, great guitar solo in the middle. Like they could all just play really really well and the song structure is good on most of the yeah. songs it's just um yeah i was just listening to, to pearl jam 10 not before not long before you got here and like that's not an album that i go back and listen to very often although it was certainly a favorite at the time um but like i that one holds up like yeah newsflash that that album holds up really well yeah um, shocking and you know they were also like young young dudes uh when they made it and like were you know angry about stuff and like they just managed to, to like rein it in and just keep it like like smart enough right right yeah I mean, I feel like that's a lot of albums from the 90s. Yeah. A a lot of them. This just isn't one of them, unfortunately. All right. What are you listening to? By the way, this this is probably the most fun I've had talking about any album. (laughs) I I know. I I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. I I was crying really hard. (laughs) We all get eight. I'm going to be thinking about that for a long time. Um, oh, also, you you wrote on the agenda that they that they share bills with Big Head Todd, but you didn't mention the monsters. What happened to the monsters? Big Head Todd actually was here last night with the monsters, so I'm sorry that I didn't mention the monsters. Okay, they're still you. around. Who knows if they're still the same monsters? That's the, <laughs> that's the beauty of that is really good. Putting point. yourself at the top of the bill, yeah, is everybody else. But what if his head got smaller? Then what would he do? Then he'd be small head Todd of the monsters. I wouldn't go see Wait, small sh- head Todd. Shrunken head Todd of the monsters? I wouldn't go see shrunken head Todd. <laughs> uh, 
Um, what have I been listening to? Uh, I didn't really have anything. Uh, it's. I mean, we're we're recording this in January, which is the time of year when when no new music comes out. Right. So the the one thing that I was going to mention, which is I think going to be a really big album, and you don't need to hear from me, is from everything I've heard so far. The new Beach House album is going to be real good. Yeah, really, really. Three good. quarters of it has been released and, now, and I, I didn't really enjoy their last couple albums. Like they didn't grab me. I agree. I, I, my favorite is Bloom, and nothing, nothing since then has quite lived up to that for me. I also think the new one's going to be really good. Exactly the same. Bloom was a, an absolutely fantastic album, and this seems like it's going to live up to that. So highly recommend that. And finally, Wet Leg has announced that their full album is coming out in April. Excellent. And I can't wait. Um, I think we already talked about uh, the that um, New Mitski is coming soon. And, yes. Uh, have you listened to Love Me More? I think it might be my favorite Mitski song. I have, and it is fantastic. <laughs> it's incredible. It's, well, it's, it's great because when you first played me Mitski, I was like, I can't believe that this person can sell any tickets because despite this, the music being fantastic, it's so inaccessible. I think and we've so had weird. this conversation on the show we, we two have, times before. We have, but but Love Me More is finally a pretty darn accessible song for Mitski. Yes, I realized as I was listening to it, we, we haven't really thrown any catnip to the to our, our like music nerd fans. Like Mitski's use of borrowed major chords is uh, like it's her signature move, and it gets me every time. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah, and nobody's gonna understand that except for musicians. But if you do, you get it. <laughs> yeah, like both both uh, December, my kid and I had the same the same experience of listening to that song and like that part where she goes to like to the borrowed uh, G G major G sharp major in the in the verse just where that comes out of nowhere. Just like <gasps> like oh, she did it. So great. Uh, have, uh, did I mention Eon Station last time? I don't think no, I did. You did not. Uh, Eon Station is the solo project of of one of the guys from the Wrens. Are you familiar with the Wrens? Of course. Okay, because the the Wrens they put out uh, the Meadowlands in two thousand three and said our new album will be coming soon. Uh, Eighteen years later, there was still no new album because one of the guys in the band is a uh, perfectionist to the point of uh, like uh, disorder. Uh, and so the other guy finally said, fuck this. I, you know, I've got some songs that I want people to hear. I, I quit and I'm putting out my own album with some other guys from the Wrens and some other people. Uh, it's out now. It's called Eon Station. Uh, Observatory is the name of the album. Eon Station is the band name he's using and it's really good. It does not sound just like the Wrens. It's very... It, it's very kind of uh, like smooth and understated, like some of like some of the Ren's more quiet songs for the most part. Although it can rock and uh, just really well written songs, really good singing, really good playing. Just as a side note, what you're saying about somebody being too much of a perfectionist and expecting for an album to come out and never coming out, my bloody Valentine. They they went, I think, twenty years between albums. It was uh, it was from 1991 to 2013, I believe. Yeah. So. Yeah. So 22 years and and it was like they're never going to put out another album, which is fine because the album that they put out is perfection. And then they did put out another album and it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Chinese democracy. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> celebrates that album. Uh, no, I think you're right. I don't think I've ever listened to it. it. It's Don't. It's really bad. Okay. Uh, all right. So you can find us at hiddenjukebox.com. 
Um, you can find us at facebook.com slash hidden jukebox, instagram.com slash jukebox hidden. You can find us all on all uh, streaming platforms. I even ran into a random person at the coffee shop this morning, mentioned that I had a podcast, and they looked it up on Spotify, and there it was. <laughs> That's great. I thought you were going to say they had heard of it, but no. <laughs> I, I No, absolutely not, but I will say that the system works. All right. So spread the word. That's that is uh, the uh, our message to you. The system works. Don't fight it. <laughs> conform, conform. All right. See you next time. I'm Matthew Amster Burton, and I'm Jake Amster.